in your ear and turn to James chapter 1. We've been making our way through the book of James. Just a little review so we're all on the same page. We started out talking about how our worst story should actually give us joy because through that trial, God is using it to test our faith So that we will know the parts of us that need to be strengthened and it will lead us to spiritual maturity. That's how valuable spiritual maturity is, is that we should take joy in even our worst trial because it produces that maturity. Next we looked at wisdom and we asked the three questions two weeks ago. Do I need wisdom? Have I asked God? And do I have faith. Last week we talked about uh, how God has a plan for us no matter what our economic situation is. If you have wealth, God has a plan. If you don't have wealth, God has a plan. And today we're going to move on and we're going to be introduced to God by a new name. Uh, James is going to call him the Father of Lights. A year and a half into our marriage, Amanda and I packed our bags and we moved from America over to England. We had volunteered to help start a youth ministry, ministry to teenagers in this very, very small Baptist church in England. And it was incredibly hard. When we got there, the church had two teenagers, just two teenagers. Uh, We met them both and immediately one stopped coming. So that was not exactly the welcome that we were looking for. Uh, We put on a big Bible study every single Wednesday. And by big, I mean four or five each week would come to that big Bible study. It, It was incredibly difficult. And in the midst of that difficult ministry, there was a church member that really just did not like us for some reason. She was mean to us. She was rude to us. She was short with us. She would have, uh, you know, if she had something nice to say, it was wrapped in a criticism, you know, people like this. Uh, And and I have no idea still to this day what her problem was. She didn't have a teenager in the student ministry. I, I don't know what her issue was, but it was incredibly hard for us because we were disconnected from our family, from our friends, from our culture. Uh, and it was hard. I remember Amanda and I meeting in our living room one night, kind of in the midst of this tyranny that she was unleashing on us. And we just prayed and prayed and prayed for a long time, just asking God to to tell her to be nicer to us. You know. And I remember in the middle of that very difficult season saying to God, why did you send us over here? You know, we were the ones who volunteered. Most people wouldn't even even volunteered. Most people would have maybe thought about it, but they wouldn't have actually packed their bags and moved. It would seem to me that we would be the people that you would bless, that we would be the people that would carry around your favor. But we came all the way over here, and this is incredibly difficult, and you don't seem to be doing anything about it. Why did you bring us here? Because that's the, the dangerous, unseen thing about a trial is it can shift our view of God just a little bit. And the question I want to ask you, I'd love for you to write it down, maybe in the margin of your Bible or on a notebook that you brought with us or pull out your phone. Has your current or maybe a past trial shifted your view of God? Because what we're going to see in James chapter 1, some things to help us realign today, if that's happened. Verse 12. 
Blessed is the man who endures trials, because when he passes the test, he will receive the crown of life that he has promised to those who love him. No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God. For God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dearly loved brothers. Every generous act and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. With Him there is no variation or shadow cast by turning. By His own choice, He gave us new birth by the message of truth, so that we would be the first fruits of His creatures. We're actually going to work our way backwards this morning. The first thing that I would love for you to remember if you're writing some things down, the Father of lights is more generous than we realize. The Father of lights is more generous then we realize, look at verse 16, don't be deceived because that's what can happen when we're in the midst of a trial, when we're suffering, is we can be deceived. Our view of God can shift a little bit. Don't be deceived, my dearly loved brothers. Verse 17, every generous act and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. So what that tells us today is that God is not getting enough credit from me And he's probably not getting enough credit from you. See, we usually only give God credit when two things happen. First, it's something that we prayed for. Second, it's something that we have no influence over. That's when God gets credit from us, when those two things are in place. When it's something that we've asked for, we've prayed specifically for this thing, and it's something that we had no influence over. Uh, Two weeks ago, Amanda called me. In the afternoon, she said, you need to go and pick up uh, Annabeth. I'm on the other side of town. You're closer to her. She's running 100 plus temperature at school. She has to come home. And so I go and pick her up and and, uh, get her home. And then I have that parental debate. We have that parental debate. Should we go ahead and go to the doctor or should we try to wait it out? She's saying her throat hurts a little bit. There's the temperature in place. But it could be strep throat or it could just be something that she's going to get over. You know, And then we don't have to wait in the after hours clinic because the after hours clinic is where it goes down at the pediatrician. I don't know if you've been there lately, but uh, stuff happens. So we decided that it was best just to, to get her into the doctor because if it was something like strep throat, she was going to need an antibiotic and, and might as well just bite the bullet. So I uh, you know, draw the straw, and so I take her, and we go to the clinic there, and we're in the lobby. Of course, the lobby is incredibly crowded because kids don't get sick during the day. It's only at night. Incredibly crowded. And we saw some amazing stuff while we were there. We saw a, a girl who came in and got bit by a snake, a which is fantastic. They sent her directly to the emergency room. I followed up. She's fine. You know, (laughs) we saw somebody throw up right in the middle of the waiting room, which is always fantastic. I don't know if any of you ate breakfast this morning, but uh, that's what I had to endure. And then, you know, I'm doing that thing in the waiting room, which is, you know, sizing everybody up, just deciding who was here before you and who came after you. You know what I'm talking about? I'm a very laid back person in general, but I have a very strong sense of line justice. (laughs) I don't like it when people get to go first ahead of me when it's my turn to go first. And so I had sized everybody up and they called somebody that I was fairly certain we were there before, uh, 
them, and uh, Amanda was not there to keep me in check. So immediately I go to the lady behind the, the little window there, and I'm like, hey, you know, my, name's, my name is Curtis, and my daughter Annabeth over here, super sick, by the way. And those people, they were, came after us. And I made sure to say it so that those people knew that they were getting a grace and it wasn't actually their turn. They're going, as you can see them walking to the door right there. They, they were here after us. It's, it, when is our turn? And so she types it into the computer. And she says, well, you're next. You know, I'm sure I wasn't. But that's just what they tell you because that's what they want to hear. But that's what she told me. So we go back and sit down. And of course, 10 minutes later, 15 minutes later, 20 minutes later, that little door of the waiting room opens, which means the nurse is going to come out and call the name. And so I get up, Annabeth gets up, and we start walking to the door because she told me that we were next. And she had the audacity to call somebody else's name. And I didn't even bother with the lady behind the, the glass. I just went straight to the nurse. And I'm like, that lady behind the glass, she told me that my daughter was next. These people are not next. We were here long before them. They're walking up, but I don't care because of justice you know there needs to be justice in the world it's our turn and another nurse sprints up when she hears me having this conversation she's like I got Annabeth I'm I'm Annabeth is with me and so we go back in the back and the doctor checks us out gives us the test and and uh, sure enough it was strep throat we get the antibiotics and then we stop by the CBS and three days later you know she was fine and I'm embarrassed to tell you that I gave God zero credit for that zero. Why? Because I had influence over it. And by I had influence over it, I mean I took Annabeth to the doctor. Then the doctor had influence over it because the doctor swabbed her and then sent it somewhere and they came back with the results right then. And then I went to the CVS and the pharmacist handed something out, a little metal box to me and we gave it to Annabeth and I had influence over that. We had influence over it so I gave God zero credit. But what this verse tells us today is God is way more generous than we realize, and he should get a lot of credit. I mean, how many of you today, in the midst of our praise and worship, looked down and just praised God for your shoes? I didn't. I doubt you did either, but shoes are really important. I was doing some ministry in Africa one time. We were actually camping outside this school in the middle of this village, and every day we would play soccer with these students, these teenagers. They didn't wear shoes, so I didn't wear shoes. It was a great time till I got home, found out I had an African worm that had dug itself into the middle of my big toe. Shoes are important. Your shoes are a generous gift from God. And I would guess not one of us thanked him for our shoes when we put them on today. And that's not to make us feel bad today. That's just for us to realize that God is actually incredibly generous to us. The Father of lights has given generosity that is beyond our wildest imagination. And then it, he, he says two specific ways we see that generous generosity. It says... Coming down from the Father of lights, verse 17, with him there is no variation of shadow cast by turning. So two things we see uh, his generosity displayed as. First, we see him generous in his consistency. 
Because you remember this is written in the first century and the sun was the greatest light that there is still in our day. The sun is the greatest light there is. But the sun moves, doesn't it? It starts over here in the east and and at noon it's right over our heads and then it sets in the west at the end of the day. And what that means is as the sun moves, our shadow moves accordingly. And so what James is saying is the sun It's our greatest source of light. And you remember, these are the days before electricity. These are the days before modern technology. The sun, our greatest source of light. Even it changes and the shadows change because of it. But God, our Father of lights, He is so massive. He is so amazing that He doesn't even have to move in order to give us light. He's just always in the same place. He's generous in His consistency. But a trial can make it feel like God is hiding from us. That God is moving. But James says he's not. There's no variation there. Now there is a a seeking that is necessary in our faith. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Keep asking and it will be given to you. Keep searching and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be open to you. I love to play hide and seek with my, my kids. In fact, if I'm at home when they come home from school... And they don't see me in my office or they don't see me anywhere around. They know that I'm hiding from then. And then almost every day we have a little game of hide and seek. And it's super fun. But that's playing hide and seek with my kids. I think every parent in here will understand when I say there are some days Amanda's been at home with them all day long and I've been at work all day long and we just want to have some grown-up conversation. You know what I'm speaking about? And so uh, I want to hear about her day. She wants to hear about my day. And I want to hear about her day and she wants to hear about my day. And so we will go and hide from our children. (laughs) And that's what a trial can, can make us feel like, that God is not... He's not... Well, he's hiding from us, but he's not. He, he never changes. He never moves. His shadows never vary. And if you're in a moment right now where your trial has convinced you that God is gone, that God is hiding from you, that his presence has been removed from you, you can be assured today that he's in the exact same spot that he has always been. Maybe it's time to revisit those original places of relationship between you and God. He's also generous by our new birth. Verse 18, by his own choice, he gave us new birth by the message of truth so that we would be the first fruits of his creatures. So he talks about new Birth, the same thing that Jesus mentions to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 3, when he, Jesus said, I assure you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We're born once into the world, but we also must be born into the kingdom of God. And look, this new birth came by his own choice. That means he wasn't forced into it. God is not forced into loving you today. God is not forced into saving you. The only obligation that he has is his obligation to his own good pleasure. And by his choice, he gave us new birth so that we could be the first fruits of his creatures. First fruit in the scripture was something sacred and people would offer their first fruits to God as their highest and best. And that's what the scripture is saying that of all of the things that God has created, we made in his image are the highest 
and best. And how does that new birth come? It comes by the message of truth. This is the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received. Here it is. This is the gospel that gives us new birth. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas. That's Simon Peter. Then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive. But some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. That's our James. Then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one abnormal. Normally born, he, that's the Apostle Paul, also appeared to me. A couple of weeks ago, after one of the services, uh, somebody ran and uh, they came and found me and said, I want you to meet somebody in the access room. You guys know our access room over here. We have them at both campuses. They said, I want you to meet somebody in the access room. And so I go in there. There's a young lady who had come in for prayer, just as most of us do. Something going on in her life. She just wanted somebody to pray for her. And in the midst of that conversation about prayer, she realized, you know what? Uh, I'm just coming to church, and I want God to kind of help this, uh, help me in, in this situation. But I've never actually given my life to Jesus. I've never given my faith to Jesus. And right there in the access room, instead of just asking for this one tiny request, she asked for new birth. And right there, she placed her faith in. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and she was born again. That week, she goes home, invites her sister to come to church with her next week, and sure enough, after one of the services, there her sister was saying, I need to be saved, I need to believe in Jesus, and she was born again. This is happening all the time, and some of us want all kinds of, uh, of gifts from God, good and generous and perfect gifts, but have you received His best gift, His highest And best gift, which is the life of his very own son. Have you believed in the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because before you ask for shoes, before you ask for your children to be healed of whatever ailment is currently going on with them, the best request to the Father of lights, the best use of his generosity, is our new birth. Father of lights is more generous than we realize. The second thing that I want you to remember today, the Father of lights does not tempt us to sin. Verse 13, no one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God. So we shouldn't blame God for being tempted. Why? For God is not tempted by evil and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. See, in the midst of a trial, when our view of God shifts a little bit, we end up blaming God for things that He didn't do, including sometimes our own mistakes. But look what he says in verse 14, where our mistakes, where our sin comes from. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. So this picture here is of an animal and a trap. Each person is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. A couple of years ago, I walked out into our garage and I saw some evidence of some mice. Now listen, I got no issues with mice. I'm sure they uh, play an important role in our uh, earth, uh, you know, its uh, system and all of that and science and all of that. I believe in all of that. They just can't play their role in my garage. You know what I'm saying? 
And so I went to the store and I bought a bunch of traps. Now everything that I know I learned on television, so I went and got some cheese and I put them in the traps. Now I realize this is actually the last time I was here with you, I talked about setting traps for raccoons. So what that tells us is if this pastor thing doesn't work out, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. I can hunt things and trap things. I'm going to be fine. But I put cheese in there because that's what I learned from Looney Tunes is that mice like cheese. The next day I come out to the garage to see what I have caught and nothing. Not only have I caught nothing, not any of the traps have been set off. So what happened is the mice didn't want the bait. And that's what the scripture is telling us today. That when it comes to sin, our sin, my sin, your sin... It takes two things. It takes the temptation and it takes the tempted. It's the bait that draws us away, but it's also our own evil desire inside of us. See, there is no temptation without the tempted. You take in the Old Testament story of David and Bathsheba. David is king of Israel and he's hanging out on the top of his palace on the roof, and he looks down, and there Bathsheba is bathing. And we don't know if Bathsheba was bathing inappropriately. We don't know if she was just doing what all the other ladies do. We don't know. But then an affair was born because of that. But it was David's evil desire that was necessary. See, in our culture as Christians, we like to blame the world for all of our problems. Men trapped in pornography blame the internet. We blame that gossipy friend for the gossip in our circle of friends. We blame Hollywood for our image disorders. We blame our economy and culture for our greed. And listen, all of those things are guilty, but they're only half guilty they're only half responsible the other half is me and it's you it's the temptation and the tempted and when they come together sin is born then the next verse says Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. When the tempted and the temptation come together, sin is born. And when sin and time come together, death is born. All kinds of death, physical death. You give your sin enough time and enough rope, it will hang you. It will kill you. Physically bring the end of your life and our sin kills us spiritually that's why we're all separated from God but the good news is today that we are half to blame we are the tempted but we can have victory over our temptation we can actually win out over the evil desires inside of us I love Colossians chapter 3 
verse five, if you want to turn there really quickly, this is what it says. Therefore, put to death whatever is in you that's worldly, sexually immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath comes on the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now you must also put away all the following I wonder if any of us are struggling with these things today. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. So it says, put to death whatever is in you that's worldly. We can have victory today if we put these things to death. If we put our evil desires to death, what does that mean? It means you rip the life out from it. You're struggling with lust today? Rip its life out. This is aggressive language. You're struggling with greed today? Steal its very breath away from it. This is not passive language. This is not put it to death. If you're not busy, if you're not interested, go ahead. No, it's saying kill the evil desire in you. Rip its heart out. Take away everything in it that gives it, gives it life. Impurity, take it away, rip it away. Anger, take its life. Slander, rip its life away from him. Because temptation will always be there. But by the power of the Spirit, we don't always have to be the tempted. We can be the mice that's like, I'm not interested in cheese. I used to be interested in cheese, but cheese has no interest to me anymore. I used to be interested in greed, but I'm not anymore by God's grace. I used to be uh, caught up in lust and that would have set off the trap every time for me, but by God's grace and God's grace alone, that doesn't interest me anymore. I'm no longer tempted by that. Temptation will always be there. The internet will always be there. Somebody attractive will always be there. Money will always be there. Insecurity will always be there, but we don't always have to go to the trap. Father of light does not tempt us to sin. The last thing, the Father of lights rewards those who endure because of love. Blessed is a man who endures trials because when he passes the test, he will receive the crown of life that he has promised to those who love him. Remember what we learned in verses 2 through 4 that God uses our trial to test the genuineness of our faith. Not for His benefit. He knows the genuineness of our, of our faith. It's not for His benefit. It's for our benefit so we can see the parts of us that are weak, the parts of our faith that need to be strengthened so that we can move into spiritual maturity. And notice that the enduring is connected to love for God. Blessed or happy is the man who endures trials. And he will receive the crown of life that he has promised to who? To those who love him. You cannot endure a lifetime of trials with keeping your faith without love for God. And enduring those trials filled with faith is an act of love for God. Jesus 
said in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36, teacher, uh, somebody said this to him, teacher, which commandment is in the law that's the greatest or the priority? And he said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment today. Some of you, you're like, I don't know what God wants from me. What does God want from you? He wants you to love him with all of your mind and all of your heart and all of your soul. It's his priority commandment. If you're making a list today of all the things that God expects from you, coming to church is not number one on that list. You're like, that's great because I didn't really want to come back next week. Well, you should. Reading your Bible, not number one on that list. Buying a radio for South Sudan, not number one on the list. Loving God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind is number one. And what happens to people who love him like that? We receive the crown of life. James is using imagery from a race, maybe specifically the Greek games, which were known throughout the what was once the Greek empire. The winner would get a wreath around their head. It was their reward for winning the race. And this crown, this crown of life, it's our reward for enduring our trials with love for God. Here's what the Bible says, the New Testament says about this crown. 1 Corinthians 9, 25 says that this crown is imperishable, meaning it put the wreath around your head, it's not going to wither and die. It's not eventually going to fall apart. It's unfading, it's imperishable. Here in James 1, verse 12, but also in Revelation chapter 2, we receive the crown for enduring. 2 Timothy chapter 4, it's called the crown of righteousness and it goes to all who eagerly desire the return of Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 5 says the crown goes to, to those who faithfully, spiritually lead. And in Revelation chapter 4, if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn there as we finish today. Revelation chapter 4. You remember what the story of the book of Revelation is. The disciple and apostle John, he's getting a guided tour through heaven and through the things that are to come. And in Revelation chapter 4, his tour takes him to the actual throne room of God. And when he's in the throne room, he sees these living creatures, which are these angels, but these angels have multiple faces and they have six wings. And the scripture tells us that they never stop singing this song day and night. Holy, 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 Lord God, the almighty who was, who is, and who is coming. They never stop singing that song. So right now in the throne room of God, there are these living creatures and they're just moving back and forth, back and forth, singing the same song. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. But then another song is going to start. That song doesn't stop, but another song is going to start. Verse nine, whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, who are those elders? Probably 12 representatives from the 12 tribes of God's people, Israel, and probably the 12 apostles, those 24 leaders, elders, fall down before the one seated on the throne, and they worship the one who lives forever and ever. And check this out, they cast their crowns before the throne, and then they start singing a song. The song's already going, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who 
is coming, but then a new song starts. Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things and because of your will they exist and were created. So we got the living creatures, they're singing their songs and the, the, the elders, they're so overwhelmed by the song of the living creatures that they start singing their own song. And so it's like, uh, you know, row, row, row your boat. It's like row, row, row your boat. But instead of row your boat, it's like holy, 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 holy. And then a whole new section of the choir comes in. Holy, 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 holy. Back to these people. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and is in the coming. And they're singing their song. And in the middle of singing their song, they take off their crown and they just cast it towards the throne. Now here's how this connects to us. We have seen the generosity and the goodness of God. Most specifically and beautifully through the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. As it has been revealed to us from the holy, imperishable, unfading, undeniable word of God through the unbelievable power of the spirit of God living inside of us. We have seen the generosity and goodness of God and you and I, we have responded by faith to that generosity and we are doing our very best to live loving and faith-filled lives in response. In the good times and in the bad, through the easy stuff and the hard stuff, we're trying to be faithful and loving towards God. And one day you're gonna transition from this life to the life to come. And when you do, you're gonna receive a reward for that loving and faith-filled life that you lived on this planet. It's gonna be a crown. It's your medal of honor. It's your well done, good and faithful servant. And at some point, your own guided tour of heaven is going to make a stop in the throne room of God. And you're going to hear the song of the living creatures and they're going to be singing that same song. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and who is to come. And you're going to hear the song of those 24 elders. And you're going to want to take off your crown and offer it back. Because you're going to say in that moment, I lived a faith-filled and loving life in response to your generosity. But now I have seen you. And I don't need a reward. Being in this throne room is reward enough. You can have this crown back. I'm glad to have it. I'm grateful to have it. And if you don't want it, I'll wear it. But I don't need it. I'm just happy to be in this room. And here's why I personally want to live a loving, faith-filled life towards God. Because I want to stand in the throne room one day and have something to offer. When I see the one capital O on his throne. I'm going to want to participate. 
And I'm going to be there and you're going to be there. And our house is not going to make the transition from this life to that life. And our wealth is not going to make the transition from this life to that life. And our accolades not going to make the transition. And our fame not going to make the transition. And our popularity not going to make the transition. And all our stuff not going to make the transition. And the only thing that we will have to our name in heaven is the crown that he gave us as a reward. And I'm going to want something to offer in response to getting a glimpse of the one who is holy, holy, holy. I'm telling you right now, you just trust me, you're gonna want something in your hands to be able to throw towards the feet of that crown and that throne. And your house isn't gonna be enough and your stuff isn't gonna make it. Your money's not gonna make it. That's all gets burned up on the way up. But we'll get a reward crown of life and we'll offer it and maybe he'll say I don't need it Jesus will say actually I'm coming with 12 crowns of my own you keep your crown but I appreciate the worship this is the truth but your current trial today may have shifted your view of the father of lights this hard time that you're going through, it may have shifted a little bit where that's not the picture you've been carrying around of God. But he is the father of lights today. He is more generous than we realize. He does not lead us into sin. And he will reward those who love him. So Father, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and who is to come. We don't have our crown right now to offer you. And if we did, we would have thrown it a long time ago. But we do have this life that you've given us. And we lay that at your feet today. In response to who you are, as our Father of lights, we give you what we do have. We pray that you would receive it today as worship. And we ask these things, we speak these things in the name of your one and only Son, Jesus. Jesus.